Welcome to episode number 130, Loving Oneself and Perfectionism. I am your host, Damon Soka. I admit it, I regularly have negative feelings and perceptions running around in my head. I admit to being somewhat of a perfectionist. And if you have listened to my podcast for any length of time, you have probably noticed my tendencies. I'm not sure exactly why individuals with mental illness have issues with perfectionism and the negative nature that comes with it and our illness. Maybe we are so aware of our weakness and illness with mental and emotional processes that we compensate. Maybe it's just part of having mental illness and living the gospel where perfection is our behind-the-scenes mantra. Maybe it's just part of mortality and the natural man. I'm not entirely sure where it comes from, but I can tell you that it creates issues. In the gospel, we are focused on repentance and improvement and becoming like our Father and Savior. And because of our illness, we tend to twist the process of repentance into a review of everything that is wrong and flawed in our lives. In so doing, we at times see our weaknesses, flaws, and even our emotional difficulties as who we are rather than as a part of the mortal learning process and a part of our illness. We can see ourselves as being lazy, unworthy, weak, troubled, unloved, a bad seed, a black sheep, and even hopelessly headed towards a telestial sphere of existence. Because we are mortals, working our way towards a celestial sphere, and because we desire to understand where we stand with the Lord, or how we measure up in this life, we naturally compare ourselves to other individuals. But we do not do so in a fair and balanced way. For instance, if I were to ask you how you compared to one of the current apostles or leaders of the church, your answer would likely be that they are far more advanced than you are when it comes to perfection, which is actually not true. Now think of a ward member you admire. Again, you are likely to see the same thing. Their celestial marathon appears to be easier and more attainable than your own. We tend to view others with more mercy and understanding because of the way our brain fills in the blanks in a more balanced way. Even seeing their mistakes is understandable while punishing ourselves for lesser transgressions and seeing our lives as far different, far more complex, and less celestial. We see our celestial marathon as more difficult, more complex, less attainable than for others. When it comes to our personal life, we know very well every evil and semi-evil thought and feeling we possess. And we weigh all of those things in a balance with the good. However, because of our illness and because of this perfectionism that surrounds us on the gospel, we tend to weigh our faults with much greater heaviness than we do our successes. And when I mean greater, I'm talking ten times greater. This produces an imbalance in our minds and hearts. And we do not see ourselves as we should. We do not see ourselves as the Savior does. When we self-evaluate our lives without the benefit of the Savior's merciful perceptions, we create falsehoods about who we are and what we can become. In essence, we learn to loathe or tolerate our existence in our lives rather than love ourselves. Consistent negative perceptions about who we are and what we can become 
are often some of the greatest and most consistent barriers to exaltation and happiness. I read a book some time ago about a couple of baseball players that taught me one of those life lessons that has really stuck with me. It was about two baseball players who were drafted at the same time to play into the majors. One was a muscly, hard-hitting power slugger, and the other more of a wiry small ball hitter. Obviously, the owner that drafted them had some expectations as to their abilities. Certainly, he was excited about the power-hitting slugger and his ability to send the baseball deep over the fence regularly. He had been drafted for his bat, and he looked poised to rise quickly through the majors, well before the other young man whose bat and skills did not produce quite as much success. As the story unfolded, the author noted that the power hitter and the other player had very different approaches to the game. During practice, this power hitter could knock balls over the fences with regularity, and his skills were actually very impressive. However, during live games, if the power hitter struck out, he tended to get flustered at his failure, and that frustration would roll over to the next at bat, causing cascading failures and strikeouts. If he succeeded and got a hit on his first at bat, his successes would generally translate to more hits. When he wasn't successful and he had a failure, that failure almost always compounded his future opportunities. Now, the second player wasn't as powerful a hitter, but he had a very different perspective. Rather than getting frustrated by these failures or strikeouts, he viewed it as more of a learning opportunity, meaning he would say after striking out, I know I can hit that pitcher. I just need another chance. He viewed every at-bat as an opportunity to learn more about the pitcher to the extent that he would be able to hit that pitcher. So rather than being a hindrance to his future, his strikeout became an opportunity to learn and to adjust. The power hitter and the one that had the talent did not make it to the big leagues and eventually crashed out of baseball altogether. However, the less powerful but more persistent player did not did make it to the big leagues and had a successful career. The author noted that having a short memory, as he called it, was of great benefit to the players. Certainly the power hitter had more ability, but his long memory doomed his ability to process and to learn. What is a short memory? It is the ability to view failure from a learning perspective and to see failure as experience leading to success. It is the ability to view oneself as capable of accomplishing the task given time and experience. In short, to see value in failure. A short memory doesn't allow failure to become who they are. A long memory views failure as a prognosis of future failure, not a learning experience. It allows doubt to seep into one's future experience and views failure as part of who they are. I believe that in the gospel we tend to do the same thing. We allow one or two failures to doom our entire future, and we become stuck and unable to free ourselves. We tend to have a long memory in the gospel, which is somewhat strange because if you review the scriptures, the Lord is pleading with us to have a short memory and to view mortality as a learning experience leading to exaltation. We all struggle with parts of the gospel and our natural man tendencies and our illness. We all fall short. But when we do fail and sin, 
we generally see the repentance process as a one-and-done type of event. <clears throat> we want to repent and be done. But what we find in mortality is that repentance and change is often more of a process than a one-time event. There might be several failures before we obtain success with difficult portions of gospel life. However, like the power-hitting slugger, if we allow our past failure to teach us how to fail, then we will begin to believe that we are a failure deserving of celestial life, rather than allowing repentance to be a learning process of how to become celestial. One of the main things we can do to love ourselves is to learn to have a short memory. Rather than allowing a mistake to cascade into multiple failures, we need to learn to view it as this secondary baseball player, saying, I might have struck out this time, but I know I can get it done. I just need to make some adjustments and try again. The Lord does not desire that past failures lead to future ones. He would much rather our past failures lead to shoring up our resolve, to make adjustments, and then to succeed. Far too many of us who suffer with mental illness dredge up old wounds, picking off the scab, as it were, and allowing the wound to be exposed again, sometimes creating a greater wound in its place. Sometimes we even pick at the scab just to have a wound as our excuse for how we feel. Yes, I know that mental illness makes us feel like failures. But even then, we can still do small things to change these stubborn mental failure processes. Because mental illness draws into this long memory process and adds to our failure rate, loving oneself and having a short memory is no easy task. You are not going to change the mental illness issues overnight, and most certainly you are not going to suddenly change from picking at wounds to covering them up. But there are small things we can do to move towards a shorter memory. The first thing we really need to do is to begin to view sin, error, mistakes, embarrassments, and stumbles as learning opportunities rather than open wounds for all to see. For many, this will be a significant task, probably for all of us. To put aside all those negative feelings, desires, thoughts, and emotions is almost impossible because we are not choosing to feel the way we do. Our illness hijacks those processes. Those past mistakes will rise to the top because our illness presses them into our hearts and our minds. I cannot tell you to stop thinking about it because I've been there. I know how impossible it is or feels. But what we can do is start to change the narrative or perception in our head about who we are. We are individuals with an illness, not failures or sinners. Yes, our illness does cause us to feel like failures, and it alters our desires and motivations to do good. But those feelings and clouds of darkness are not who we are. They are symptoms of an illness, but they are not our nature. Viewing our illness as an illness is not an easy task because we then must accept that something within us is not right. We must come to accept that we have a weakness built into our bodies over which we do not have entire control. To admit this inability is difficult for our minds. Our minds want to believe that they are in full control all the time. Remember that our minds don't like the unknown or missing information to the point that it fills in missing gaps subconsciously. 
Now this passes over into the perception of control. To admit that we have an illness, especially a mental one, means that the mind has little control over one of the main processes of the body, our emotions. The mind has a difficulty comprehending this lack of control, especially emotions, because even when the processes go awry and we feel terrible, the mind believes that the emotional signals of the body are true and accurate. The mind struggles to see the effects of the illness as symptoms. Rather, it tends to believe whatever signal comes to it. People struggle with mental illness because it feels real. To teach and to train the mind that some portion of those signals are false will require a sustained, significant effort. Even with the effort, the mind struggles as to classify what is real and what is not because normally it accepts everything as real. So we cannot simply understand that we have an illness. We need to do some training of the mortal brain, and that is going to take some time and need some help. Yes, we need the support of someone who understands our illness and can talk some sense into us, meaning to help us to understand what we are feeling is more about our illness than reality. We should consider talking to the brain trainers therapists, who can help us with the process and the processing. Most of all, we should specifically go to our Father and Savior in prayer and ask for their help with developing this short memory. He is the one who can best help us sort our feelings and understand how best to train our brain. For me, this has been a more difficult process than I even thought it would be when I started. I have discussed previously how often I would rely far more on my rational thought than my feelings. I also had to understand how the Spirit speaks to me personally, considering my personal emotional difficulties. And even armed with those tactics, I often fell back into the illness, is my reality, rather than my illness. What I can say is that you are likely to feel better just starting this process. The brain really doesn't like the disconnect between what you are experiencing from the environment and how you feel. Meaning, if you truly viewed your life and how things are going, even if a few things aren't going so well, your personal life that is generally going well doesn't match your distressed feelings. Sure, your brain's going to do what it can to align those feelings with reality, but often our external world is going just fine when we feel as though it is falling apart. The brain understands some of this disconnect and can see it. And when we accept the disconnect and provide an answer to the brain, we often feel better. After this initial acceptance of the illness, however, for some reason, our brain tends to revert back to where it was. And we need to reinforce this acceptance. I often wonder if this initial acceptance followed by returning back to where it started is really just part of that habit-forming part of the brain that gets stuck. No matter the reason, telling our brain once or twice doesn't, make, doesn't cause it to make any serious changes. We will need to re reinforce the idea again and again, and that is one of the places the Savior can help us the most. While we might have difficulty changing brain habits and patterns, the Savior can ease that level of difficulty. As we do this, we will begin to better understand our bodies, minds, and emotions, 
And that allows us to love ourselves and increases our ability to have greater self-mercy. Certainly this process doesn't happen all at once, but over time we can begin to learn to love who we are, accepting our illness and ourselves. This also allows us to begin to build a short memory for problems and issues, and yes, even sins that we encounter during our episodes. We can begin to see how quick the Lord is to forgive and how much He desires that we move on from sin that has paralyzed our life. We can begin to see His love for us, and that will increase the love we have for ourselves. When we can learn to love ourselves, and even laugh a little at our troubles and issues, life will truly be more beautiful to our eyes, even if our illness still at times pierces us to the soul. May the Lord bless you to see yourself as worthy of love, and may He help you to have a short memory. Until next week, do your part so that the Lord can do His.